From Knowledge Success and the World Health Organization's IBP Network, this is Season 2 of Inside the FP Story, a podcast with family planning professionals for family planning professionals. The international family planning field has generated a lot of data, a lot of reports, and a lot of lessons learned. But we don't often have the opportunity to get behind that information, to hear directly from the people who implemented a program or who did the analysis. And so we reinvent the wheel or miss the mark because we don't know what could be really critical in a particular context. Inside the FP story is that opportunity. Each season, we hear directly from program implementers and decision makers from around the world on issues that matter to family planning programs. Through these honest conversations, we learn how we can improve our family planning programs as we work together to build a better future for all. I'm Sarah Harlan, the Partnerships Team Lead for the Knowledge Success Project. I'm pleased to welcome our narrator, Sakshi Sharma. In Season 2 of Inside the FP Story, Knowledge Success has been collaborating with the IBP Network to explore issues around implementing family planning programs. During this six-episode season, you are hearing from the authors of a series of implementation stories published by the IBP Network and Knowledge Success. These stories offer practical examples and specific guidance for others on implementing high-impact practices in family planning and using the latest tools and guidance from the World Health Organization or WHO. So far this season, we have discussed programs that have mobilized and reached communities with family planning information and services. We have heard about strategies to ensure that diverse group of adolescents and youth have access to family planning and reproductive health. In our previous episode, we began exploring scaling up programs that improve the larger health system. This episode, our last for this season, will feature guests from Madagascar and Uganda who will share stories about strengthening partnerships and advocacy for family planning. Their insights can help us as we look to shape supportive systems and ensure that family planning programs can reach all who need them. We will begin today's episode in Uganda, specifically the Sibe cluster in mid-eastern Uganda, which has relatively low contraceptive uptake compared with the rest of Uganda. IntraHealth International collaborated with multiple partners across Uganda to create a collaborative among implementing partners in the region. They worked together to build health workers' capacity to deliver unbiased and integrated healthcare and increase voluntary access to a full range of contraceptive methods among rural and underserved communities. We spoke to Sam Chirop, formerly of IntraHealth International, to hear more about this program. My name is Sam Chirop. I currently work with the AMREF Health Africa. I work as a regional coordinator. And formerly, I used to work with the IntraHealth as a cluster technical manager for Sabay Cluster, where this story was documented. What we implemented was basically partnerships and collaboration with the uh, implementing partners that were supporting 
family planning related activities within the cluster. We came in from the angle of the activities that were cross-cutting the four implementing partners that took part together with the local governments. And our focus was mainly to improve access to voluntary uh, family planning uh, services by women and men of reproductive age group. The collaborative initially began when Rights E, the Intrahealth International project Sam was working for, decided to hold a coordination meeting with partners working in the cluster districts. Such meetings had not been previously held among implementing partners in the region. In addition to Rights E, the meeting included representatives from key local non-governmental organisations. During the meeting, participants discovered that they faced similar challenges when implementing family planning programmes. None of them had enough funding. They faced regular contraceptive stockouts. They noticed insufficient skills among health workers and they all realised the need to involve communities more in their family planning programmes and to sensitise these communities more around the need for voluntary family planning. To respond to these challenges, the Rights E team proposed ongoing partner collaboration. This way, they could pool their resources and cover more geographic areas. They could also increase involvement of local governments, which could help sustain family planning programming in the cluster. It turns out they were right. Pooling their resources and skills had a great impact. The impact that we can now see was a dramatic increase in the number of people that eventually accessed family planning related services, given the fact that Previously, the numbers were very low. And then when we did this collaboration, we came up with a number of strategies and interventions that we put out there across the three districts. And by the time we were submitting this uh, story, we had dramatic increase in, in, in numbers of people taking FP. The collaborative worked together to address cultural barriers and to help create an enabling environment that would support family planning programming throughout the entire cluster. In order to make sure that the collaborative stayed accountable to their goals, IntraHealth Uganda took the lead and made sure all the organisations came together, despite different donors and interests, to work towards their overall objective in supporting the districts and the Ministry of Health to meet the family planning needs of women in the cluster. In doing this work, they found strength in numbers and were able to address challenges as a collaborative group. We were operating on a very complex terrain that had various prevailing challenges and needs from communities that would actually not be addressed by one implementing partner and also that we could find strength in a collaborative that we could use that kind of strength to address the various challenges. This program helped the modern contraceptive prevalence rate increase from 13% to 16%. And overall, there were significant increases in the number of women using long-acting reversible contraceptives. We asked Sam to share what elements of the program led to this impact. The element of constant coordination meetings. Because in those coordination meetings, the element that I would embed in almost as two in one was 
the element of data review in those coordination meetings. That eventually worked magic for us. We would always have meetings, bi-weekly, monthly, and quarterly meetings. In these meetings, we are constantly reviewing our data to focus on, on areas where we think are not doing so well, to further refine our strategies, our interventions, what was that different that we could modify. We asked Sam one thing he wishes he had known before starting the program. Looking at, at the element of sustainability on first sight, we realized that we have issues with the continuous work, especially that is being done and funded by donors. So the one thing that we really hope that if we had done before it would have been productive was an earlier engagement of local governments for them to commit resources towards family planning related activities. Engaging local governments earlier was a key lesson learned. In addition, Sam shared program challenges they faced at every level and how they overcame them. So let me begin with the district and say we had two to three major challenges at the district level where we had inadequate funding in the Department of Health. We didn't have lots of budgets, although the local governments had not committed a lot of monies in supporting family planning related activities. And then the second challenge is even when we brought in the element of commitment of resources from local governments, especially resources generated from local revenues, the government officials were reluctant to really make commitments towards this kind of allocation of funding. And then the third challenge was around competing priorities. Beyond family planning, there were a number of other activities surrounding HIV, surrounding vaccination out there that were all being done concurrently. And then um, issues around non-commitment, we kept on engaging through dialogues, through the performance reviews to demonstrate to them the element of importance of committing resources. That's why they were able to give us that money that they gave us. And with the element of competing priorities at, at district level, we had to go back to re-strategize and ask the district teams to have what we call weekly DHT meetings, district health team meetings, for us to discuss activities of the week so that we could distribute the available persons according to the activities that were prevailing in a given district in that particular week. At the facility level, Sam identified three major challenges. The need for more training among healthcare workers, frequent stockouts of family planning supplies and inadequate use of data from health facilities. So with issues of skills, we commenced a number of trainings, especially uh, using approved manuals, those of WHO and Ministry of Health manuals here in Uganda. We followed this up with mentorships where we had mentor and mentee designated at district level, brought together via various platforms for quick engagement with each other to just continue improving on the skills that they have gotten. And then we had an element of learning sessions which were instituted on monthly and then on quarterly. With issues of stockouts around reproductive health commodities, we majorly did two main activities. That's redistribution of 
of commodities among facilities that had surplus, but also emphasized more on building capacity of health workers in placing orders, correct quantifications delivered in time to actually uh, fit into the increasing demand which we were generating from community. On issues around data use, we formed data quality committees which would scrutinize data before submission on monthly and quarterly basis. At the community level, the coalition faced two main challenges. They faced issues of resistance to family planning due to the influence of cultural norms and values, but they also had geographical issues. Some communities were far away from the health facilities and could not access them. How we handled the element of resistance, we continued engaging them on various advocacy programs, especially using the approach of community group engagement. We were able to do radio talk shows, do posters, do dramas, and then do community drives to have them further enlightened. And during such processes, we're clearing on issues around myths and misconceptions of family planning. And then on issues of long distance, we decided to conduct outreaches, family planning related integrated outreaches to communities which were really far away from the health facilities. As a coalition, they were able to analyze data and quickly respond to the challenges they saw at each level, district, facility and community. We asked Sam what he thought others could learn from their experience. One of them is um, around collaboration. And I would tell us that collaboration with the implementing partners and other stakeholders can really be enhanced in a way, if done clearly, it could turn out to be very efficient and in such a way that members can always leverage on each other's activities, funding, as we further discuss donor interests, and then divide responsibilities which will enhance trust. And in a way, this would also be avoiding duplication of activities while making sure that the resources that we have are put into use. The other is also that further, the collaboration provides a conducive environment for stakeholders to nurture relationships as we continue sharing experiences and improving voluntary family planning uptake by service users. But then periodic meetings are important because these present moments where we pause and reflect on where are we, what is that we have done right, what is that that we haven't done right, if we did it right, why, if it didn't work as we had planned, why did it not. In that way, we are able to do some bit of root cause analysis and come up with areas where we still need to, to focus. We further looked at the element of focusing on community-based interventions actually plays a key role, especially in changing or challenging cultural practices and addressing myths and misconceptions on issues around rumors. This program used principles of community group engagement, which is considered a high-impact practice in family planning, to design this program. We asked Sam more about why they used this approach and what they learned. The community group engagement kind of worked magic for us because it presented an opportunity for us to diversify and even dig deeper into cultural values and norms that wouldn't have otherwise come out. But 
through the constant of various approaches like drama, community dialogues, discussion with elders, religious leaders, were able to get input from them directly. We asked Sam to explain more about how they strengthened the health workforce and increased skills and information received by health workers. So we basically picked out the various guidelines of WHO. Uh, we further picked together with that of the, the Ministry of Health because the Ministry of Health actually picks most of its data from those guidelines. We triangulated them and then now used them to conduct TOT trainings at a regional level. And then we printed, contextualized and compressed guidelines to these mentors on their day-to-day work. Whereas they are visiting facilities, they are using this for quick reference. We also gave some to the health workers where even in absence of mentors, they could use this for quick reference in case they wanted um, to refer to an element which wasn't very clear to them. Another important aspect of this program was establishing trust. This was especially important when working with different organizations funded by different donors. Trust and transparency helped them establish a framework to support each other during the process. We also instituted learning sessions that were facility-based and then district-based. During these learning sessions, we are reviewing the best practices that were working across board and those that were working for particular indicators to further see if this was working for family planning. This story shows us the value of ongoing partnership and collaboration. As Sam explained, this program was able to achieve more as a collaborative than any individual partner could have achieved alone. A note for our listeners. In the second story of this episode, Dr. Unisu Riend Rally Dare's project is stated incorrectly. She is the country lead of Options Consultancy Services in Madagascar for the Wish to Action Project of UK Aid. As we just learned, strong partnerships can help us ensure a more supportive, enabling environment for family planning programming. Working with these partners to advocate for improved family planning policies can make our programs reach more people with the services they need. Our final story this season is a prime example of how national-level advocacy, with a clear understanding of the government's budget cycle process, can lead directly to improvements in domestic financing for family planning. In Madagascar, Options Consultancy Services Limited advocated for and succeeded in removing taxes on donor-funded FP commodities as a means to increase national financing for family planning. The additional funding is an important step to help ensure all individuals have access to contraception. To hear more about this program, we spoke with Dr. Unisu Range Rallider of Options Consultancy the country lead of hope change in Madagascar. I'm Dr. Onisa Rindralidari. I am the country lead of hope change in Madagascar for the Reach to Action project of UK Aid. This story started in 2019 
When we saw that, it was very difficult for the state and for the Ministry of Public Health, more specifically, to allocate funds for family planning. As we know, Madagascar is among the poorest countries in the world, and therefore, we depend a lot on donors. The situation in Madagascar is that more than 95% of contraceptive product needs are met by donors, with less than 5% provided by the Ministry of Public Health or by the state. Although the Ministry of Public Health, MOPH, pays for less than 5% of contraceptive supplies, equivalent to about US$235,000, they are required to pay an estimated US$94,000 in taxes each year on the donated commodities. Why not use these taxes to be able to increase the allocated funds? So, we looked at the zero rating process. So, we started to write a letter from the Minister of Public Health to the Minister of Economy and Finance to request the zero rating of these contraceptive products in the Finance Bill for 2020. The Minister of Economy and Finance accepted and the standard political process, therefore, is that the bill is drawn up within the Ministry of Economy and Finance. After, they will present this at the government council level. And after its adoption at the Council of Ministers level, it goes to the parliamentarians level. So, what we did, we contacted parliamentarians directly more specifically, the Health Committee within the National Assembly, because it is they, the parliamentarians, who hold the final decision. Zero-rated goods are products that are exempt from value-added taxation. The program team contacted the chairman of the Health Commission and explained the benefits of a bill removing taxes from these supplies. They included information on investment for family planning. The chairman was convinced. The chairman of the Health Commission was a man who was already our ally when the law governing reproductive health and family planning was adopted in 2017. This is a law that has survived a century-old law that still banned the use of family planning in Madagascar. So it was really a step forward, a big step, and he agreed to support us. He reassured us that he himself would personally influence his fellow parliamentarians to pass this law. So we worked a team on the advocacy letter as part of the normal process and we made a plea within the National Assembly for it to be accepted and adopted immediately. It was passed unanimously. So the impact is that tax exemption is effective in Madagascar. Therefore, all contraceptive products are zero-rated, and therefore it is easier to have access to all these contraceptive products. The other impact is getting a lot more funds for contraceptives. To identify the funding gap and determine how much of an impact this zero-rated plan would have, they used Madagascar's Costed Implementation Plan for Family Planning, which was developed by a National Family Planning Committee. Partnership is crucial for any type of advocacy activities. Since they were focusing on national-level advocacy, they cast a wide net when it came to partnerships and reached out to all government institutions concerned with reproductive health and family planning. However, when it came to actually passing the bill, 
they targeted key decision makers in this case parliamentarians at the beginning we worked and we are still working with the national family planning committee in madagascar to develop the official letter requesting the abolition of these taxes so that is the normal process but on the other hand we have understood that we needed advocacy to key decision makers who are parliamentarians so we began to establish to develop a brochure that includes the summary of the benefits as return on investments of family planning the evidence the commitments that madagascar made it was a four page brochure so we put everything we identified the key decision maker so we chose the chair of the health commission because of his commission deals with health issues in madagascar and since he's a real influencer among parliamentarians he's a good messenger we gave him all the information to be able to support so we decided to advocate within the ministry of public health to support us with the president of the health commission we made the plea together to also convince this president of the health commission and afterwards him in person he influenced the other parliamentarians to adopt during the plenary situation we asked dr unisu what she considers the most successful component of the intervention the component of success in this intervention having designed the brochure was really a success we used this brochure among all the possible implementers the other thing was knowing the normal government process and then knowing the key decision makers helped our success dr unisu shared additional insights including one thing she would have liked to have known before implementing this intervention we after looking back we found that it was not enough it was a success first but we also had to ask for the use of funds that were formally allocated for donor taxes to be used for family planning we had to do this at the same time it was possible but we didn't really think about it at first removing the taxes was one thing it was another issue to ensure that those funds were used for family planning and issues that arose during the covid-19 pandemic only made this problem worse as more issues were competing for funding so that's why we really had to ask by law to increase this budget we had to do it in the law because if it is in by law it is more difficult to take it afterwards so that was it but with the accountability mechanism we made a plea to recall madagascar's commitment to also remind decision makers of the zero rating of products and to remind them to increase the budget and we started to advocate at the parliamentary level again in other committees such as the finance committee the population committee parliamentary funds etc they agreed to become allies to increase the budget while the program is still advocating to ensure that the funding is allocated properly to family planning programs they are happy to have developed strong partnerships and alliances with decision makers we asked if she has any advice for others implementing similar programs in terms of advice for others it's better to work with an approach that is not routine but an innovative and inspiring approach 
you must always remain open-minded. For example, we have this National Family Planning Committee, which brings together all the stakeholders. And really, this is an opportunity. We must also see who are the other stakeholders that we must contact. We must integrate people with disabilities. We must integrate young people and adolescents, their associations. We must also go to the level of parliamentarians, because among parliamentarians, as parliamentarians, they are also people, doctors, financiers, communicators, etc. You also must be flexible, speaking with political and legislative types. You may work even at night or early in the morning. And other than that, a great piece of advice is that before you do anything, you have to first master what you want to talk about. You might encounter unexpected questions, so you must really master the program, master the data, master the information that you want to share with the decision makers. That's a big one. You also must know the standard political process and how to identify the key decision maker. And you must find the right messenger. The person must be someone who is convinced of the program. The person must be steeped in the program and be able to defend it. She said it's crucial to be familiar with the government's financial process as well when working in advocacy. You must know the budget cycle. We have now established with the Ministry of Health a budget monitoring process which helps us to track this better. Because now, Madagascar has just signed the Commitment for Family Planning 2030. So we must follow up so that it is honored, so that this commitment does not remain a signed commitment, but a truly materialized commitment. This program focused on advocacy at the highest levels of government in Madagascar. It was crucial for them to understand not only the current political process, but the history and the larger environment that influences family planning policy in the country. Unlike Deepthi Mathur mentioned in the previous episode, it is key for all stakeholders advocating for family planning to have a common goal. Having a favourable environment, including supportive policies, allows stakeholders to develop a shared vision. We asked Dr. Unisu to describe the key pillars of a supportive environment for family planning. The pillars for a favourable environment? We need partners, we need stakeholders. All stakeholders need to be on the technical committee. The Ministry of Health, which is in charge or supervises the programme, must be the lead partner in order to have a really good political support. We need framework documents. We also need funding to implement. It is also necessary to have follow-ups and evaluation to be able to improve and to understand the situation and to improve future commitments. We also need legislative documents, I mean, which really frame the implementation of these programs. Advocacy, like that conducted by Dr. Yunisu and her team in Madagascar, can help ensure that these pillars are in place, forming an environment supportive of family planning programming. We asked if she had any final thoughts and she had some great advice about always pushing forward. I will add that for this kind of high-impact practice, it is not something frozen. 
which you always must evolve. So now we have zero-rated products. So what do we have to do now? We must make a plea to get a lot more funds and after and after, etc. So we should not stop after a success, but always see what we can do to really expand and facilitate access. As the Reach to Action program, we started to consider people with disabilities. And now we are happy that no one is left out because there is a platform of people with disabilities that works a lot, that has already been created in the coalition, in the accountability mechanism, to always challenge the commitments made by Madagascar. As more countries are making commitments to the newly launched FP2030 partnership, Dr. Yunisu's advice is even more relevant than ever. This story shows the importance of working with key decision-makers to ensure domestic financing for family planning, create a supportive environment, and to keep pushing to improve family planning programs, striving to not leave anyone behind. This is also a clear example of the importance of policy advocacy to ensure that governments live up to their FP2030 commitments and to the families in need of life-saving contraceptive supplies and services. This season, we have been honoured to share stories from a range of programmes around the world. We started by exploring community engagement strategies, including integration of family planning services with other health areas and settings. We then turned our attention to innovative strategies to reach diverse groups of adolescents with reproductive health information and ended with a focus on overall systems, policies and the enabling environment. While the countries, interventions and audiences were diverse, many of the lessons learned are universal. We hope you find these stories useful and we'd love to hear from you as you apply some of their insights in your own work. These stories are part of a series of 15 stories selected from a global competition hosted by the IBP Network and Knowledge Success to highlight experiences implementing HIPS and WHO guidelines. If this episode left you hungry for more, we encourage you to read the other stories on the IBP Network website. And if you missed any episode this season, you can always catch up by listening to previous episodes. Inside the FP Story is a podcast produced by the Knowledge Success Project and the World Health Organization's IBP Network. This episode was written by Sarah Harlan and Anne Ballard Sarah and edited and mixed by Elizabeth Tully. It was supported by an additional team, including Alex Omari, Isa Tutioi, Nandita Tate, Ados May, Carolyn Ekman, and Michelle Yao. Special thanks to our guests, Sam Chirope and Dr. Onisu Riand Ralidare. To download episodes and to find additional links and materials, please subscribe to Inside the FP Story on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can also find Spanish and French transcripts at knowledgesuccess.org. 
The opinions in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the United States government. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to reach out to us at info at knowledgesuccess.org. Thank you for listening.